This episode, What's a Catholic to Believe Anyway? Doctrine, Dogma, and How It Develops. The Catholic Underground starts right now. You've hit the play button on the Catholic Underground via the podcast, cutting through the noise and bringing you the topics that matter. It's episode number 455, for those of you who are, you know, ticking them off. I'm Father Chris Decker, a priest of the Diocese of Baton Rouge, and joining me, hopefully not ticking them off, <laughs> Kathleen Lee. I don't know what to tick off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, tick the box. You're here. I'm here. Yep. And uh, Olivia Galino joins us as well. Olivia, good to see your face. Thank you. And to hear your voice. I'm always like, oh, Olivia's here too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I was trying to give you a little bit more, you know, a little more verb there. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Blackwell is up in space. And so let's uh, head on up to the Jeff Star One near Earth orbit just to check in. Yeah. On a man who sees the curvature of the Earth quite often. Yes. Yeah, we had uh, William Shatner pass by this week. I mean, literally. He's going to say, did you wave it, Bill? <laughs> I did. Yeah. He you didn't know, wave back. I was, I, it was so great because he was, he was very much himself in character. Yeah. He said, weightlessness. As he was becoming weightless, I it was he was like a child, you know, mm-hmm. kind of experiencing something. Yeah. Uh, speaking oh. of people who are not children but yep. are very childlike, Ed Ball is running the video for here, us here. in uh, the what's it called? The, the ball, ball pit. pit. Oh Hooray. my goodness! I need some that's, like theme music. That's a promo if ever I've heard it starting. Don't tell of our Burton. So yeah, that's uh, that's the round the horn uh, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time or for the first time in a while. Uh, we, we're the Catholic Underground, and we do indeed have a good little bit of time uh, for fun at the beginning of the show. But let's get down to business, shall we? No more fun. That's right, no more fun. <laughs> well, you know, I find this a great deal of fun, yep. and uh, and most uh, folks that are that are really into how we believe what we believe find this kind of fun yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And so we thought we'd spend some time talking about doctrine. Yep. And not all of the elements of our doctrine, but what is doctrine? What does it mean to say that we as Catholics have doctrine? Mm-hmm. And then the subsets of that. What does it mean to say that that uh, the church believes in dogmas? Mm-hmm. Because that's one of those words that is now, um, shall we say, politically loaded as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? A lot of these things get co-opted. And then uh, we, we talk about d- the development of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And then some of the subsets even of, of doctrine, like what are, some, what are theological opinions? What are those sorts right. of things? So, so as we dive in, the very first kind of general thing is doctrine. doctrine. Yep. Right. And so I guess uh, we, we might uh, define it, right? So doctrine generally refers to all of the things that the church teaches, right? Mm-hmm. And these are proposed as necessary for belief by the faithful. Yeah, yeah. and that's important language, right? That necessary for belief. like Because I think we think sometimes that doctrine is optional. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you hear a lot like, well, I don't agree with the teachings of the Catholic Church on whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well... Usually it begins with, you, I'm Catholic, but... Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, you're supposed to like engage your intellect and your reason when it comes to the teachings of the Catholic Church, but like there's a difference in understanding something and then mm-hmm. believing it. And mm-hmm. I think that's where people trip up. And like when it comes to the doctrines of the church, like we, it is necessary for us to believe these mm-hmm. things. But that doesn't mean that we can't work on our understanding of yeah. them. Correct. Yeah. Because generally like if I'm like ah, about a doctrine of the church, it's probably because I don't understand it very exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, look, you know, 
there's so much about the the church that people think that they that they know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, the church doesn't just put out these doctrines, you know, or, or these teachings or anything, and then just say this is it because we feel like it. Right. There's so much behind it that we have to look past the headline. That's right. Yeah. We can't just read the headline and get the full understanding of the teaching. Correct. You have to. Yeah. You have to dig a little bit deeper. And you're right. I, I'm the same way. Like, if there's something that in the church where I'm like. Ugh, I I don't say well, I don't I don't agree with that I don't yeah. believe in it it's I haven't understood that yet you know yeah. and and then you got to do the research yeah exactly and so when we talk about doctrine we're talking about those systems of belief that the church has actually professed since its earliest days yeah we can sometimes look at doctrine and think oh well that you just started doing that in the 80s yeah. you know well well no actually from the very early days the church always used brief summaries to talk about its most essential beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the most, perhaps the earliest form, that would be the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. yeah. Well, know. and even earlier, like in the Old Testament, you'll see like creeds mm-hmm. in a very like kind of nascent form. But like, sure. you know, when uh, in the Psalms, different places, um, and Exodus certainly, but like there'll be like little professions of belief. Like these are the things that the Lord has done for us yeah. and it'll list them, you know, like he created the heavens and the earth, yeah. he delivered uh, the people through Moses, through the Red Sea, you know, it's like this kind of list of things and it might seem arbitrary to us because we don't, I'm like, that's not really a creed, but it is, right? Because it's talking about like all the things that God has done for us and it is doctrine, right? Yeah, it's also interesting yeah. too how many of those things are within within Judaism are a part of their liturgical life. Yeah. So like the if we go through the Seder, through the Passover meal, that's a, that's a statement yeah. continually of, of doctrinal belief about what we believe about about God. Yeah, in the, the Dayenu prayer, or mm-hmm. I guess it's more of a song now, but like the Dayenu, it lists like all these things. Dayenu in Hebrew means like it would have been enough, yeah. right? So like if God had just brought the people out of Egypt, it would have been enough, but he didn't just do that, right? So he brought them, he parted the so Red Sea a, to bring them through. Yeah, and yeah. it like keeps building and building to all the things that God has done. And it's like, it's reaffirming like the love that God has and the length Mm -hmm. that he's willing to go to, to be in covenant with us. But yeah, it's part of their, their liturgical life. It's part of their daily life, right? Like the, the things they're supposed to keep on their lips always, you know, and it should be more of the way that we live too. That's right. One of my favorites is in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Uh, They're talking about what happens when you come into the land that the Lord will give you to possess? What happens when you get to the promised land? One of the very first things is you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing that you're called to do once you reach the promised land is to make a profession of faith. Yeah. Like who my ancestor in faith was. It was Abraham. Yeah. And so that's something that, that the church continues to do today. And I suppose if you want to talk about the Acts of the Apostles, that, that the, the Apostles' Creed would be one of the very first New Testament um, proclamations, if you will, of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of belief, of yeah. doctrine. It's very simple, you mm-hmm. know, like even the, the early catechism-esque, like in the Didache, it was very simple, like the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, very simple. And it's, a, I think, a testament to the fact that, like you were saying, like, doctrine did exist like it's we might have documents that have dates on them from like the middle ages or you know the kind of enlightenment period in the 1700s but like it didn't originate then if there's a date on something at a later time period it's because there was confusion Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it had to be clarified and so there was a a conversation about it a document about it but it was because like well no no, this is what we believe not that thing 
Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. so when we're talking about doctrine, that's what we're talking about. The, the, the general teachings of the church. And that is everything from those creedal statements. So like the things that we talk about in the creed, um, as, as well as, um, I mean, if you want to talk about, um, the, the, um, the very normal things that we do, right? The, the Our Father is a, is a statement of doctrine, if you mm-hmm. will. It's something that we believe. Um, even, even the tenets in the Hail Mary would be doctrinal statements because they come from the scriptures too, yeah. you know, when they state what we believe about Our Lady's intercession. So even within our praying life, there are statements of doctrine as well. Um, the, the, the very tenets of Catholicism, right? I believe in God. Mm-hmm. I believe that he is the Father Almighty. I believe that he is the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Those things that, that we really oftentimes can take for granted, those are statements of doctrine, statements yeah. of belief, and things that, that we believe are required for us to believe to call ourselves Catholics yeah. and to call ourselves uh, practicing Catholics uh, as well. You know, I, I sometimes will tell folks that you can't be a starting lineup player on any sports team of any kind if you don't practice, you have to show up, right? Yeah, right. and and um, it's interesting that uh, for those of you who might be watching some series on Apple Plus uh, about European football, um, uh, oh, <laughs> um, training is is what practice is called in in the UK, right? And so there's this notion that practice is also training. I'm yeah. training my mind in the faith every time uh, I I pray, every time I make a statement of belief, every time I recite the creed. Yeah. Yeah, and they, yeah, I, I love teaching my students about the creed because I'm like, this is one of those things where the majority of the time, we don't just, you know, go to, like, right before a meal, say the, say the creed. Mm-hmm. It's contained mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. in Mass. Yeah. And, you know, and there's so many things in Mass that anybody just kind of, like, glosses over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, but every time we go to mass, like every Sunday we say this is what I believe. Yeah. You know, and so if you're ha- if you're like sh- like if you want to know what the Catholic Church is about, there it is. That's right. Yeah. And we just much like the the Passover, we encounter the statements of our doctrine in the worship that we offer God, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 age-old Latin phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The the law of prayer is the law of worship, is the law of life. Mm-hmm. We pray as we worship, we worship as we live, Yeah. right? And, and that's, that's the, the, the honest truth there. Mm-hmm. And so our doctrines help to guide us to, to navigate that, uh, that often winding river of life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but there are many times where it, it is the belief system of the church that sometimes, the, like the creed is the only thing I have to hang on this particular day, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Like yeah. I, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some days, that's about all I've got. <laughs> like, yeah. Lord, I believe you were on the cross. Lord, I believe that that you rose from the dead, and I believe that that you will come again for me. Yeah. yeah. And that's where doctrines can be helpful for us, because we're not just trying to kind of make things up on our own, but rather we have something that we can stake our belief on. Mm-hmm. Um, a subset of doctrine would be what we call dogma. Mm-hmm. A uh, dogma is is one of those phrases that uh, we hear a lot. Like I say, it kind of gets co-opted, but um, but a dogma is a teaching that's uh, that's held to be divinely revealed by God, and that's what gives it kind of that extra gravity. Yeah. That it's not just a time-honored teaching from the very beginning, but that it is clear that it is divinely revealed by God. 
So we could say that all dogmas are doctrines, but not all doctrines are dogmatic, dogma. right? Yeah. Or not are dogmas, right? Uh, the church would say uh, in talking about um, about dogmas that that she exercises authority that it holds from Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things that kind of flies in the face of modernism that doesn't want to pin down anything. But when we talk about dogmatic statements, well, there has to be some authority that can proclaim these dogmatic statements. Mm-hmm. The authority is Christ's. Mm-hmm. And we believe, um, if you flip in your Bible to Matthew's gospel, that Christ gives that authority, strangely enough, to men, <laughs> yeah. uh, to some specific men. He gives that, that authority to, to Peter, our first, um, the, the kind of the first among the apostles and our mm-hmm. first pope, as well as to the apostles themselves, the ability to bind and to loose, not just sins, but also teaching, mm-hmm. yeah. you yeah. know? And so when we talk about dogmas, this is when the church exercises uh, her magisterium. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's a, I suppose we probably need to open that up a little bit too when we talk about yeah. the magisterium, because that's one of those things that, that folks maybe don't understand. It's a word that we hear. Yeah. It's a word that itself has been co-opted into certain children's literature, actually. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, Philip Pullman's books, uh, the, the Villains or the Magisterium. Oh, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. I don't like yeah, that. Yeah. I know. Well, and that's just like a bastardization of the like the original language, because magister in Latin just means teacher. Correct. It's a very, like, innocuous word. It's, it's exactly. a teacher. It's yeah. not a dictator. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, not a tyrant. And so from the catechism of the Catholic Church, itself a statement of our doctrines, the magisterium, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the word of God, whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, so traditio, the handing down, mm-hmm. has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's because that, that authority has been given to, uh, to Peter and his successors, so our present pope. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever it acts, uh, it acts in an ordinary way, just in elucidating and, and unfolding doctrine or, or teaching doctrine, or in saying that something is divinely revealed as a dogma, it does so and it exercises it in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, this means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome, who is, is the Pope. And so when we talk about the magisterium, that's what we're speaking about. And so it is the magisterium that, that essentially is the, um, I wouldn't even just say the gatekeeper, but like the treasury yeah. keeper, right? Mm-hmm. The keeper of the keys of the treasury yeah. of the deposit of faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I so I, I teach this briefly to my my freshman students when we talk about the you know divine revelation, natural revelation, all that stuff, and under the umbrella of divine revelation is the magisterium. Mm-hmm. When we get to like the deposit of faith, and it's all these terms and stuff, and I'm like, all right, forget the terms for a second. Yeah. Think about like in your life, in yeah. your family, there might be like an heirloom that's passed down. It's precious. Maybe it's not even that special, but it's like special to your family. And so I gave the example of, like my great grandmother's kitchen bowl. It's mm-hmm. like porcelain, it's got flowers on it. It looks kind of like junk that you could pick up at a garage sale, but like it's beautiful to me because I know the story. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. and same with like some other things I have that my grandmother gave me. It would just look like stuff to mm-hmm. anyone else. But once I tell them the story, they're like, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. my grandmother gave it to me. And so it's been handed down to me mm-hmm. and I know that it's precious. And so that's kind of like what the magisterium does to us. Like the magisterium is the keeper of the gift. Yeah. And like, 
they they want to pass it down mm-hmm. to us, but for us to understand how precious it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they have to teach us about it. They have to tell us the stories and right. make sure we understand, you know, like when you're a kid and your your mom's giving you like, you know, next level responsibility and she's like, okay, don't break it, mm-hmm. keep it somewhere safe, right. you know, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because it is so precious. And right. so there is a certain responsibility on us to be good recipients. Correct. Right? You know? And that's also why that, that's also why doctrines and dogmas do not change. Yeah. Yeah. They don't change. They're, they're immutable in the sense that, that they, they, they are referenced to God, of God, and by God. Right. And if they're divinely revealed by God, then, then they're not going to change tomorrow. Yeah. Right. They're, they're going to be something that is as good for our salvation and good for our soul today as it was yesterday, as it will be in the future. Yeah. And so when we speak about doctrine, um, we can say that... Uh, that, or I should say about dogma, when we talk about dogma, which are those, those beliefs that are divinely revealed to us, um, the church's magisterium exercises the authority it holds from Christ to the fullest extent whenever it defines dogmas. Yeah. Um, so it proposes in the form of obliging the Christian people to uh, an irrevocable, irrevocable adherence to the faith, something that we go, I, I assent to this with, with all of my faith, and with all of my intellect and all of my will. Um, and so this is like when we speak about the scriptures, I mean, we would say that the scriptures contain not just doctrines, but also the dogmas of our faith, things that that are are required, that we are obliged to believe with um, with adherence of faith. Yeah, and that's, I think that I, I, I love that. You know, I'm, you were talking about how these don't change, and I remember being in a conversation, and I wasn't the one asking the question, but I remember someone asking the question, like, why doesn't the church change its teaching on mm-hmm. fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. And I remember going, hmm, that's an interest, and this was way far back, you know, and I remember some whoever I don't whoever responded said, if the church changes its teaching. Mm-hmm. what is the truth mm-hmm. what was before or what is after mm-hmm. right and i was like mm, yeah. right, i like exactly. that i like and you know and I, and in that part of my education and my journey in in you know being a theologian mm-hmm. um that has been something that i'm where i'm like okay yeah this is there there's not been one part where i've i've you know Mm-hmm. Learn to learn something that the church teaches. Where I've gone, that's malarkey. <laughs> like right. you know, because there's always yeah. truth behind it. You know? Correct, and and that's the thing. Our world doesn't like the idea that there's something that is solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the truth, that which is true, is not based upon public opinion. We don't determine right. the public opinion. We don't determine the truth by public opinion. Yeah. The the church. We often say that the church is not a democracy. Well, no, it's not because the the church was divinely instituted by Jesus Christ. Yeah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if he instituted a mystical body that would continue to kind of pump blood through his spiritual children until he comes back, then he has to do it in a way that that doesn't doesn't conform itself to every successive age until he comes back Mm -hmm. and that is a great challenge in every um in every generation and yet the truth doesn't change based upon my ability to stomach it Mm -hmm. right you know and that's where we find ourselves uh in a very wishy-washy weird place in in uh, our modern world so talking about um the the difference between doctrines and disciplines and things like that we'll talk about that in just a second after we let you know we are the Catholic Underground. Oh yeah, 
Uh, I, I didn't telegraph to Ed that uh, the slide was coming, but surprise. Yeah, but it's there. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay if you're listening to us on the uh, podcast forum. It's great. It's it doesn't perfect. matter. It's perfect. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No. No. Uh, I'm Father Chris Decker here on the Catholic Underground, joined by Kathleen Lee, Olivia Galino, Jeff, and Ed in space, along with William Shatner. And briefly. a lot of people, apparently. Yeah. Everybody's just space. for a moment. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know. Like, if, if I were told tomorrow, hey, would you like to go to space? I suppose I'd say yes. I mm. would oh, not. Hard pass. But I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, do not. Depends n- on I, how much exercise I'd have to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to leave the ground. Mm-hmm. There, and, yeah. there are not a lot of things that I'm, I'm afraid of. Like, when I talk about, when you talk about fears, mm-hmm. there are two things that I am afraid of. Mm-hmm. And most of them have to do with, um, not seeing the end of something. Mm-hmm. So the middle of the ocean and space. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't okay. like I don't like not being able to see the end. Mm. Yeah, mm. boundaries. Yeah. yeah. So space. Like there's there's one movie that like Sandra Bullock. I don't know what happens because I. Re- it, mm. Oh my gosh! It <laughs> makes me movie. like. It makes me panic even thinking about it. I have not seen it because it makes me want to throw oh, up. Yeah. But oh, I got stressed oh. out watching <gasps> Castaway the other day because I was just like, no. Does he, see, the island <laughs> does, does he not make it off. The island does not bother me because but there's it's like, an island. Is anyone ever going to come? Anyone but ever like come? if they're in the middle of a boat in the middle, like in the middle of the, no, I can't do it. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose I can see where it's helpful to have something to hang on to and hence our conversation about mm-hmm. doctrine and dogma. Those <laughs> yeah. things the king that, of the that, segues. that give us a true end in mind, <laughs> that right? True. That, that mm-hmm. we know that the Lord is coming back back and in between now and then we have something that we can grab onto i often think about um, saint bruno uh-huh. of course uh the the Carthu- founder of the carthusians which if you've never had uh, chartreuse it's good stuff it's the green delicious. and the yellow um and in fact roberto our toronto bureau chief mm. makes a fantastic drink with uh with raw cocoa and chartreuse oh. ask him about it sometimes it's really good anyway and hot water um anyway mm. so so when we speak about uh saint bruno he says the cross stands firm while the world moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got that right when we played Monks and Nuns Jeopardy. Oh, was that on the Jeopardy? <laughs> oh, I see. Mm, I, felt, I felt good about that. So <laughs> so when we talk about doctrines, uh, as Kathleen was saying before the, the break, what happens when something changes? Mm-hmm. Because there are things in the church that do change, yeah. right, mm-hmm. o- over time, etc. So a doctrine is a rule that, that Catholics must believe which is infallible and unchangeable. So infallible means it's not, there's no error, right? right? And unchangeable means it's incapable of being changed by man. And if God has revealed it as doctrine, then therefore he's not going to change it either. Right. You know, um, There are some ecclesial communities that, that still kind of, um, they advocate a, a kind of open prophecy. So today God may tell me that, uh, that, that Coca-Cola is the official drink of my religion, but tomorrow I may wake up if I'm a prophet and uh, Sprite may be the mm-hmm. official drink of my religion because God revealed it to me in a dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we, we don't believe that. We believe we believe that that deposit the deposit of faith from which all of our doctrine is drawn was closed mm-hmm. at the death of the last apostle, at the death of John, mm-hmm. the beloved disciple. Um, the deposit of faith is is secured, mm-hmm. yeah. and so the church, uh, her magisterium, right, the church's official teaching body, the bishops in union with the Holy Father, the Pope, they they guard and they um, 
they unfold our doctrine. Mm -hmm. And unfold doesn't mean they reveal new things, right. but rather we deepen our understanding of what has been revealed to us by God mm -hmm. through, through, uh, through his church, through his teaching authority. So when we talk yeah. about doctrine, that's what we're talking about. Disciplines are rules that Catholics must obey, but are changeable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, priestly celibacy in the West is a good example of a discipline. Mm -hmm. So it's required. I, as a as an unmarried, baptized male, I wanted to become a priest because I have a fairly good authority that God was calling. You know, mm -hmm. I, I like to hope that I discern properly. I would agree. Um, you, yeah. You, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I need to hear that. <laughs> uh, but um, but so so one of the rules, one of the disciplines that priests in the Western Church, so the the, the Roman Catholic Church of the Latin Rite, which is what we are, most of us are here in, in the United States. Um, our discipline is that that priests do not marry mm -hmm. in order to be eligible for holy orders. Mm -hmm. That's a discipline. It's not a divinely revealed doctrine, but it is a discipline that, that at some point in the church's life, uh, she asked through the official teaching body of the church, a discipline that she asked her, her men who were going to be ordained priests to assume. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it is a discipline that can be changed. And in fact, we know that in the case like the Anglican ordinary, if a mm -hmm. man is married, uh, he can be ordained a priest in the Anglican ordinariate, which is mm -hmm. a, a use of the Roman rite, mm -hmm. um, but it's a discipline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I think it's a good distinction to make, too, that it's a discipline that has doctrinal basis. Mm -hmm. yeah. And merit, right, right, exactly. You know, so it's not like, oh, well, they just made it up in the Middle Ages. I mean, it, it did become more of like a, a specifically a, speaking of like yeah. priestly celibacy, mm -hmm. like it did become more of like a, a widely observed discipline mm -hmm. in that time period. But, but it, it wasn't pointed, invented. Yeah, right. it was it was specifically in reference to certain doctrines of the yeah, church the, the celibacy of jesus yeah and yeah. the celibacy of many of the apostles yeah not, but not also, all of them and it also doesn't invalidate like you were saying the anglican ordinary mm -hmm. the byzantine rites who some of them allow priestly right marriages and things like that anyway Correct, so yeah. yeah like it's not like separate in the sense of being like completely Correct, yeah. And so in addition to, to disciplines, we then talk about what's called a theological opinion. Mm. And these are some things, it's, it's always interesting when, when folks uh, kind of want to make the exception the rule. Mm -hmm. And it's almost always in the realm of theological opinions that yes. this takes place, right? Opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, so a theological opinion, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. A theological opinion would be a, an area that we're free to believe or not believe without offending against the faith. So something like, um, I mean, since we're talking about ordination, like the ordination of women, um, but also, um, well, no, that's no, no, that, that, que be, that question's been settled. That, that would be, yes, that would be in the realm of, uh, of doctrine yeah. that the church does not have the ability to ordain women. Yeah. And the reason for that is because Christ did, did not do so. And uh, the reason that he did not do so is reserved to himself alone. Right. We don't know all of the reasons for that. Um, but the church has believed that through the ages. And yeah. so it is It is not an understandable theological opinion. Yeah. Uh, theological opinions might include some um, some private revelations mm -hmm. uh, that, that we're free to, to believe or not. Ooh, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but they, they, they're not doctrinally uh, stated. Well, we wish we could talk a little bit more about this, but we've got a break. We'll be right back after this.
Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Alrighty, we are the Catholic Underground. We are online all the time at catholicunderground.tv or cutv.live, I think, is still functional, um, I think. I think so. Yeah, I'll have to try it out. I haven't I haven't typed that into my web browser in a while. I'm Father Chris, joined by Kathleen, by Olivia, by Jeff Blackwell, and by Ed. We're talking about uh, doctrine and dogma, the subset of doctrine, that is. And, uh, of course, theological beliefs, things that uh, are required for Catholics to believe and things that, that we can um, hold an opinion on, you know. Um, one of those might be that age-old uh, theory of limbo, right? We, we hear a lot about that, yeah. right? Um, but the Church has never ruled one way or the other on that. Uh, what happens uh, to, to, um, to the soul of someone who dies, un, though unbaptized, mm, yeah. but perhaps um, desiring baptism, perhaps... Well, there is a theological opinion that, that was called many years called limbo, that in-between place. Yeah. And the church has held, well, you can believe it. Yeah. I even heard from, I remember having these discussions in grad school about like the question of like, would Christ have come if sin had not entered the world? Mm-hmm. And it's not something that like we really have a whole lot to work with is in terms of like material. So like yeah. there are legitimate theologians who have opinions one way or the other. Some say... Yeah, he would have always come. Mm-hmm. And some who said, no, like yeah. it was because of sin that Christ came to redeem us mm-hmm. and to redeem humanity and save us from sin and death. So he would not have yeah. come if that had not happened. So it's it's a legitimate theological opinion one right. way or the other. And you can lean philosophically into it, you know, and you have a little room to move around in mm-hmm. it. Uh, and and I think that's where we find uh, so much of, um, of the difficulties, I think, in the church today is because everything in society is held up as an opinion, yeah. right? Well, that's just your opinion. Well, that's just my opinion. Well, well, some of it is legitimately my opinion, yeah, and I can hold it. But but uh, when I hold my opinion up against the faith and the faith says, well, no, no, um, here are the things that, that we clearly understand. Here are the things that are divinely revealed. Here are the doctrines, the things that we believe. And so therefore, here is what crafts the opinions yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that, that we have. And I, I, again, these are things that I find very helpful, too, is, is that when I'm forming a theological opinion about something, like especially I think about some of the, um, some of the unapproved apparitions of Our Lady, uh, I can always look to certainly St. Luke's Gospel. I can look to what the Church has taught about Mary since the very beginning, and I can look about what the Church has taught about Mary and devotion throughout the, the centuries. And it's possible to look at some of them and go, oh, well, okay, I could see where, if, if indeed Our Lady is appearing there, then, then these would be ways in which I could see where that would be uh, something worthy of belief. Right. Or you could kind of hold it up and go, hmm, I don't know about that. I, I, I do have some questions as to how this kind of plugs into the rest of, uh, of kind of general Catholic doctrine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, those, are, those are some of the ways that we can do that. So... We talk about theological opinion, uh, that's one thing, but what about doctrinal development? 
and this is perhaps not the the same thing as the church just changing up stuff, but but what do we do when we're talking about uh, the time, you know, as time marches on, does the church change what she believes or does she come to a deeper understanding of what has been revealed? And so I suppose that when we talk about that, um, we have to talk about the, well, I guess we have to talk about uh, Cardinal Newman Mm -hmm. because he is probably one of the the most famous folks that uh, that we know in our own time that identified some characteristics for authentic developments, you know. And I suppose it's before we talk about that, it's important to note that that um, some doctrines haven't really been fully stated until much later in the church. For example, the doctrine of reconciliation. Yeah. That's been there from the beginning. But as I was telling the RCAA class a couple weeks ago, I'm very grateful to those Irish missionaries that developed from a very public expression of my sinfulness, entering into the order of penitence, making a pilgrimage as a penance, and then finally being absolved by the bishop himself and nobody else. I'm very grateful that the the doctrine of the sacrament of reconciliation developed in such a way where I'm able to go anonymously behind a screen to a priest, you know. With this like doctrinal development, would it um, encompass things that I've yet to be um, like, not that you, I don't know that you would need doctrine. Aliens, huh? Yeah, but like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like, like I'm thinking of things that are like technological advances or mm-hmm. scientific advances. Would that, would that would be included yeah. in all of this? Well, I think maybe one that we could talk about uh, off the top of my head is like cloning. Mm-hmm. So cl- cloning would not have been something that an 11th century philosopher or theologian would have ever even considered. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't remember. Oh, man, you guys are going to roast me for this one. But I can't remember when DNA was discovered. Uh, I had uh, the date and then it left. Um, I don't even I think, know. I mean, date. it was Watson and Crick, wasn't it like the 40s or 50s? Yeah, it was yeah. it was fairly recently in yeah. uh, in in the successive ages. What I was thinking, that's exactly <laughs> it. And so and so there may have been this kind of general understanding of the differentiation of species uh, at the time of, say, Thomas Aquinas. But the notion of cloning would have been nowhere yeah. on his radar. Mm-hmm. Well, the church can can say definitively that that she is against cloning because of what she believes right. about the human body. Yeah. And so the doctrinal bits there are the human body is irrepeatable. The human body um, uh, cannot be violated. Right, yeah. um, the the sexual gifts uh, between, between spouses in marriage are... Uh, inviolable in themselves and so anything that manipulates that right so we can make a we can understand a kind of a doctrinal development on cloning and that's why some of these things appear in the catechism of the catholic church because and it's interesting that a lot of them are are on morals more so than than faith and morals but a lot of times in in our morality yeah because as um as the ages develop and dare i say it as humanity finds out more ways to be inhumane um, sure. We do have to kind of come to an understanding of how doctrine is developing, how this kind of kernel of truth is then philosophically lived out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in fact, one of the the notes that that Jim says is that the growth in the richness and complexity of doctrine represents the change from an embryonic form into maturity. And so when we speak about doctrinal development, it's not changing something to then acquiesce to our own humanity and our our desires for teaching, but rather an embryonic form of something that then matures and grows so that it can actually get us closer to God. Yeah. 
And sometimes I think we forget that too, is that our doctrine is actually there to bring us closer to the heart of God. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. So many times people are, are, are caught up in this. You have to like, it's, it's seen as like almost restrictive, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. That's, it's something that I'm like, man, if, if Christ came and said, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's yeah. what I want to do. Like, I don't want to say, yeah, if this is the best way, then I'd rather do something different. Yeah, <laughs> and well, I'm like, like if this is the, if this is what we believe, yeah. this is what I want to believe. Well, and, a and, ship, and because I want to be, because I want to be close to God. Yeah. You know? Well, a ship on an ocean is restrictive. Right. But it's what keeps me from sinking. Mm. You know? Yeah. Because on, on my own power, I can tread for a little while. Yeah. But it's the, it's the, the necessary restriction of the ship as I'm passing from the eastern seaboard to Europe that keeps me from sinking. And that's often, of course, why the church is likened to a boat, right? Uh, The fulfillment of Noah's Ark, right, is Mm -hmm. is, is the the church. And so when we we speak about that, uh, we talk about uh, Cardinal Newman, John Henry Cardinal Newman, and his seven characteristics of authentic development. The opposite of that would be a a, an inauthentic development, a corruption. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters think that as our doctrine develops, doctrine develops over time, it's proof that we're corrupting the gospel message, but that's actually not the case. Yeah. It's that embryonic form of belief that then, then is, is growing to maturity. Mm-hmm. So he has seven notes. And Olivia, this is where my philosophical hat has to get put on. She, Olivia's really good at the philosophical <laughs> yes, stuff. She is. Uh, so the first one would be unity of type. All right. So continual presence of a main idea, despite its changing external expression. Mm-hmm. So so where um, where I'm, in philosophy we talk about a perduring element, right? Mm-hmm. So there's something that that maintains its itself mm-hmm. uh, as as time goes on. So something may begin to ex, uh, be externally expressed differently, but the, there's a main element that, that doesn't change. Yeah. But maybe liturgical development is, is part of that too, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I mean, you can maybe think of a, as a metaphor for this, like, um, you know, so we have a word for this structure that's holding up our computers and our phones and our drinks and stuff that we're, you know, kind of slid under. We call it table. Mm-hmm. But you go to another country and they're going to call it something else, something different. And depending on the language of that country, it might look like the word table. It might not. Um, but those words, those pieces of language are expressing a concept mm-hmm. of table. Mm-hmm. And so we know that we're talking about the same thing, even if yeah. you can't quite get to like, you can't get past the language barrier, mm-hmm. you know that you're talking about the same thing. And sometimes that's enough to like settle a language barrier and be like, okay, well, we know, yeah, we, we, we know can't figure out where about. we're going wrong, but we know that we're talking about the same thing and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, so the unity of type is important because as long as the concept it persists, as long as the, um, the, the main element, like you were saying, like perdures, mm-hmm. then we can have confidence in the expression. I see. Right. Yes. Whether that's liturgical expression, linguistic expression, philosophical, theological expression, uh, or even like doctrinal expression. Cause maybe in some instances you might have some element of the doctrine really emphasized, whereas something else isn't. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that this this part that isn't isn't important anymore. Right. Right. Um, it's still there. It's just maybe that wasn't the part that was up for debate. Right. right? And, and we see this actually through time that as the church's doctrine develops, um, I think about like the Protestant uh, 
Reformation, if you want to call it that, all right, in the 1500s, where there were elements in the church's belief that that were kind of understood, Mm -hmm. but that then had to be restated with like a full stop period at the Council of Trent Mm -hmm. to to, to speak about um, the importance of the papacy, to speak about the the sacrificial nature of the mass. I mean, that would be something that's that's very... um, uh, that's very central to to what uh, part of the problems were in the Protestant Reformation, yeah. is that the mass is indeed a sacrifice. Well, it's kind of understood, but then to restate, no, this is this is one of those perduring elements. This is one of those concepts that doesn't that doesn't change or doesn't move, um, and so we we have to hold fast to this if we're going to talk about what what the mass is, what the type of the mass is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be uh, that would maybe be something um, um, connected to that. The second thing is continuity of principles, mm-hmm. preservation of the principle with which a development started. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talk about a lot of heretical movements in the church, and as I often say, th- something that makes a heresy is not the ninety percent truth; it's the ten percent not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you think about um, well, just Gnosticism, that age-old heresy, where um, you, you, you kind of consistently believe what the church believes, and then at some point there's a devolution to saying, well, um, since God is, is good, then everything that is of the spiritual realm must be good, mm-hmm. and everything that is material must be bad. Mm-hmm. And so then we can do whatever we want with the material, with our fleshly existence, but we believe secret knowledge that certain people have that allow us to access the spiritual realm. Well... That, of course, is complete heresy because it rejects the continuity of principles that uh, that we are both body and spirit. You can't separate them. And that Jesus Christ is God and man, and you can't separate them. You know, they're mm-hmm. distinct, but they can't be separated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, continuity of principles. Um, then uh, we move into what's called the power of assimilation. This is a really interesting one because when you speak about uh, a lot of the the missionary activity of the church, we're talking about doctrinal development by by the process of the power of assimilation, um, capable of assimilating external realities like non-Christian philosophical concepts or customs or rites without in any way violating the principles of what is believed in our doctrine. Um, and so this is this is interesting because the external realities are transformed, but the doctrine is not. Mm-hmm. And so I think about some of um, uh, again. I always tend to go back to the liturgy just because I've, I I I love the liturgy so much. I, I you know study it a good bit. But I think about like um, some of the movements that take place within offertory processions in Africa. It's mm-hmm. not a dance, but it's a movement. Of um, of originally a non-Christian expression of um, uh, of pride in the harvest and yeah. uh, and of uh, a desire to move as a community together in a direction to simulate the movement of a river or something of that nature, yeah. and how those things can be um, assimilated into Catholic worship in a way that uh, becomes a service to the church, but the church doesn't change her belief about the movement, mm-hmm. you know. But the movement assimilates itself into, for example, the offertory procession of, of now we're bringing all of our first fruits to God yeah. that will then be transformed. You know? mm-hmm. the, I'm just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, would this, and this would be different than things that are, because we can talk about the mass, things that are, you know, like the three things that make it a valid mass. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then 
everything else that is considered either like legal or illegal, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But the three things, if they remain the same, what is the difference between the things that we can assimilate and those things that we cannot, you know, that we cannot? Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that is is looking at the um, the reality of the thing. There are certain um, non-Christian things, like we're talking about Eastern philosophies, mm-hmm. that can't be assimilated. Sure. Um, and these all a lot of these things have to be talked about on the the philosophical framework. Right. So, for example, a lot of Eastern philosophies would advocate that the highest form of spiritual um, achievement mm-hmm. is in arriving at um, disintegration, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and if we're very honest about that, that's one of the most dangerous things about Eastern meditation is that you're not trying to unify yourself with, with, with God who is being, but you're actually trying to disintegrate yourself mm-hmm. into the universe or into, you know, right, right, right. whatever. Um, and, and so that can never be yeah. reconciled with who God tells us that he is, sure. that he is existence. He is not an absence of existence, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so uh, the, a lot of these things happen at the level of, of a philosophical framework of having to kind of get into the nitty gritty of, yeah. mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of, of what, um, of what we believe about a concept okay. and then what the church teaches at a philosophical and the level of reason about a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're talking about the mass, well, the, the mass itself um, has consistently had to undergo reform mm-hmm. for that reason um, to, to kind of hold true to, to what is essential about the celebration of the liturgy. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And just to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying, like there are some even like physical implements that like we can bring into the way that like the church lives and breathes mm-hmm. but some that we can't so like the most the, the one that's coming most to mind is like the obelisk in the middle of, the, of saint peter's square yeah. at the vatican um that's a an egyptian obelisk that yeah. the romans stole i think under caligula who mm-hmm. was crazy was. and the when the church was established that is built on uh i think it's the nero circus mm-hmm. um it's where St. Peter died because he was killed. I don't know. Um, and they moved it to be the middle of the square and they put Mary on top. Yep. And like, that's a certain like baptism of like a, um, a secular object, yeah. right? Um, something that was considered like a sign of victory in another culture mm-hmm. because like Mary has victory over the world mm-hmm. and she is the queen of heaven and earth, mm-hmm. right? Like sin has had the, the victory. Mary is like the, sorry, we um, Jesus has had the victory over sin. Mary is like the, the perfect image of that, of that mm-hmm. purity. And so we put her on top and she is the queen of heaven and earth. But then there are certain like, um, like, like Father Chris was saying, like cultural practices, but also like symbols and things that we can't like mm-hmm. bring into our faith because they represent things that are contradictory to the truth. So I just, sure. I felt like that was important to mention because sometimes people would be like, well, like this symbol or this like, yeah, you know, crystal or whatever, right. like it's not doing any harm. And it's like, well, actually it is because it's attached to something that we don't believe, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and in some cases <laughs> it's attached to the opposite of what we believe. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, put, putting our putting our trust in objects rather than in God, you know, yeah. um, and that's very different than the sacramental system, where where the Lord imbues with His own power um, uh, the ability to, to transmit grace or to point to the realities that transmit grace. 
So yeah. I feel like we're getting in the weeds here. Sorry. Now you know the difficulty yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of talking about the development of doctrine, because yeah. this isn't just something that, that a first-year seminarian mm-hmm. you know, uh, just kind of dives right into. In fact, it's not even something that a sixth-year seminarian <laughs> dives right into. Um, and so when we talk about all these things, there, there are actually some more uh, developments that John Henry Cardinal Newman speaks of. And it's interesting that Cardinal Newman was talking about these things because he himself... Uh, developed. He himself mm-hmm. came from um, a, just a, a varied background, uh, found the truths of Christianity in uh, in the Church of England, and then in his time in the Church of England, in what's called the Oxford Movement, came to a love of Catholic liturgy, Catholic theology, and himself became um, a, a Catholic priest and eventually a cardinal of the Church. And the reason that he speaks about doctrinal development so much, and this was in the 1800s, was because he witnessed it happening in, in his own, in the, in the Church of England, but certainly he, uh, he saw how it was unfolding within the Catholic Church. And so uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman is a fantastic individual to study. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we would go through all the other ones, but I mean, I don't know that we have the time to get through all seven of them, so we'll just have to, to, to leave that. We'll put it in the show notes uh, and, and a link so that you can read a little bit more about what John Henry Cardinal Newman talked about. So logical sequence, anticipation of its future, conservative action, chronic vigor. If those sound interesting to you and not like horrible medical conditions, then you may want to talk a little bit more, read a little (laughs) bit more about the development of doctrine within the church. But you know, um, all points in between, it's been a little while, but it's time for that part of the show that we like to call the CU Pick of the Week. That's right. And for our CU Pick of the Week, Olivia, I think hmm. uh, we should let you go first. Um, nothing else, just to make Kathleen feel well, weird. Yeah, well, nothing weird. makes Kathleen feel weird. Um, oh, no, I feel weird. She rolls with it. No, <laughs> so my pick of the week is something that's like semi-educational, but just stick with me. Okay. Um, right. So <laughs> it's something called okay, something <laughs> called logic puzzles. Um, oh. I assigned my students when we were doing logic in my philosophy class. Um, these puzzles as like practice for putting together premises and figuring out the conclusions, but trying to do that in like a mass array, but that's, it's fun. It's a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and if that description sounds off putting, (laughs) it's not. Um, I even like, I showed these to my boyfriend and he was like, Oh my gosh, I love these. And then he was gone for two hours because he was just in the computer doing logic puzzles. Um, So they're very entertaining. And also like, it's a good way to stretch the mind. It's kind of like Sudoku, but with words. Um, So the link that we'll put in the show notes, show notes is for uh, a website called Puzzle Baron. And I really like those and it'll give you like Mm. clues and stuff. So it's just good like brain exercise. Um, I find them like really challenging, um, but like in a good way because it it stretch, I can feel my mind kind of stretching and I'm like, oh, this is good exercise. Um, So if you find yourself in like kind of a mental rut uh, I would recommend some logic puzzles. that's true it's good for mental ruts yeah uh, I'm afraid of most logic puzzles because my art brain doesn't equal e- easily acquiesce to being stretched that way yeah. uh, but well maybe I'll click the button I don't know give it a <laughs> shot oh, Kathleen your pick of the week I have set up a tent in my mental rut <laughs> <laughs> and have made camp <laughs> I like it there <laughs> okay so speaking of mental ruts in 33 days mm. people Yay. get ready mm. i'm getting married Yay. it's gonna be so exciting it's gonna be awesome i'm i have most everything planned but one thing that has really helped me and i you know what i i love mm. this this website it's called zola zola z-o-l-a.com wasn't that a villain in the captain captain america movies 
I don't. I don't know. Yeah. No, is it, yeah. So, it was yeah. Emil Sorry. something. Anyway, yeah. your thing is not a villain. Anyway. Back to me. <laughs> it's Zola.com. Okay, now you can go on here and you can do everything on here. You can you can um, create a registry. You can import other registries that you have, which is I'm kind of important, which has been really fun because it's like Christmas in October. Um, you can, uh, what's really cool is you can put your guest list on there. And uh, we ordered invitations through Zola and they put, our, they imported our guest list onto our invitations. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to pay anybody to like calligraphy, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but it all came, bingo, bingo, mailed it out, there it goes. And it has a, it's really cool because they have a whole bunch of, you can opt in and out of different things. Um, we have a website. We have our own website on there. People can RSVP. You can track the RSVPs. You really um, are living in the future. I <laughs> I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it so much because it's is so not sponsored by Zola. No, it's not. Uh, but if y'all, I mean, like if Zola wants to send me, I'll let you go. Um, but I mean, it's really cool and, and it, it's it's interactive. So I'm, I don't feel like I've just handed off my wedding planning. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it's made. I am not organized. The mental rut is deep and wide that's, that's um, clever though but you can also give some things that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily think about right so like a, a, a travel gift card for an airline right yeah that's a really neat mm -hmm. idea mm -hmm. yeah and they have all kind they send me emails all the time like hey did you think about this and i'm like nope I didn't. <laughs> Click. did you have you you know have you done this yet have you sent these out and i'm like i'm behind you know and so it's, <laughs> it's really cool keeping me on track and and organizing like who my vendors are and what needs to be done by a certain amount of time etiquette stuff that i'm like I know, sure, mm -hmm. yes, you know, um, but it's it's really cool. They send me so Zola dot com if you're. I you know I want to know where the the ordination version of this is. Right? I think that uh, are you listening out there, you person, you who uh, who are very Catholic. I'm like I think we need to do this for deacons, for priests. Yep. Yeah. For monks, maybe Ooh. they're about to give up everything. So yeah. why not have a registry for them? And maybe it's just prayer. Maybe yeah. it's a, a kind of a spiritual bouquet. Spiritual thing. bouquet. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm, and you can you can edit mm, it like i could put that on saying. here i'd be like oh send me some prayers and well some priests do, do like create registries they do not prayers, yeah but, but there's like, but there's no real like yeah. clearing house to do that the yeah. one-stop yeah. shop that's yeah. really interesting because i know all of mine had to be of course i was ordained back in the dark ages in 2007 and the internet was only just beginning to mm -hmm. take control of our lives <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. everything was still an angel <laughs> fire yeah, it was a rough yeah. Time. Oh, and so angel. i think all of my my registry if you will was at the local catholic bookstore yeah you know people had to call in on the tell on their landline what? telephones and, and yeah Never. well 2007 that was the iphone the iphone was out yeah, yeah. yeah the first go. one my pick of the week <laughs> i you know what i yeah my pick of the week is michael o'brien continues my favorite author my favorite author. Uh, he's a Catholic author, and he writes so well. His latest book is called The Sabbatical, and it is, it's actually, um, it's loosely a sequel, but it's about uh, an Oxford professor um, who, who is looking forward to a year of peace and quiet, but he has been, he's been called from um, a family in Romania possibly a royal family, a once royal family in Romania, to a conference. And, uh, and, and there are things that unfold in the midst of this conference where all of these interesting minds come together. Um, and it may involve some danger Ooh. and some daring escape. Ooh. 
and explosions. Yeah. Uh, there are some explosions. Ooh. Yeah, uh-huh, in fact. So the sabbatical. Just the a, a way I like my Michael sabbatical. O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, I know. I wish I'd have had this <laughs> on my sabbatical. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. But Michael O'Brien again knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite authors. Anything by him is good. Father Elijah, of course, is his magnum opus. It's the the book that kind of started it all. Um, but uh, the sabbatical is one that you can read by itself, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of disconnected. I guess I should mention too that uh, I am drawing an Inktober. Yes, Inktober. So, pew, so, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> so Inktober um, uh, is, of course, the uh, a prompt for every day of October, so artists can make an inked drawing. And so uh, you can follow me Instagram.com slash Digital Catholic if you want to see my Inktober drawings. We're about halfway through the month, so yeah. uh, as of this they time. They are legit. Yeah. Every yeah. day I'm like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of go. following a little bit of a theme this year yeah. Um, yeah. And, a, and a narrative as well. Very that, cool. That's it's like unfolding. seeing a comic come to life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the next episode. Well, I mean, that's why I've got to get home after after <laughs> this and draw. Yeah. yeah, Jeff, you got a pick of the week up there on the station? I meant to I, I, ask. I, I do. It's a quick one, too. But it's an yeah. older book uh, published in uh, 2014, Michael Aquilina's oh, yeah. um, see, The Witness of Early Christian Women, mm-hmm. Mothers of the Church. Oh, fantastic. Oh, cool. It's an incredible book, and there's some great stories. St. Thecla. Oh, yeah. Look that one up. Yeah. I'm telling you what. I mean, I love the woman. church fathers, but we've got some fantastic mothers mm-hmm. in the church as well, and I'm yes. so glad that we do. The Catholic Underground, of course, made possible by viewers, listeners, prayer warriors, benefactors like you. Jeff, if they want to become an official undergrounder, do you remember that URL off the top I, of your I, head? I do. Uh, let me see. I've got it right here. CatholicUnderground.com slash donate. Yep. And that's one of those forward slashes, by the way. It is indeed. The yeah. backslash is only used for escaping. <laughs> Thank wow. you. Yeah. I don't know. And, of course, uh, if you want to help us out, you can let us know by uh, by just send us an email, backchat at catholicunderground.com. Yeah. Or you can heart us and star us and everything on yeah, your platform. Yeah, loo sue us, like us, follow us, and, you know, and uh, share us. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Jeff, did you make that? Is that an Lou unthought Lou thought that you it, thought well, at first? I, I've been thinking about it for years. I just finally... Oh. That's it out. Jeff. Yeah, yeah. So Lufu sue us, I yes. suppose. Don't know how I feel about saying that now that I've said it. Uh, our panelists have been Kathleen Lee. She's at Kaylee626 on Instagram. Thanks, Kathleen. Anytime. Olivia Glino is the dot real dot omg on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you, Olivia. Yeah. Jeff Blackwell is our technical director at Jeff Blackwellis. Thanks, Jeff. A privilege, Father. And Ed Ball is our video director. Jim Hayes is our research assistant with his crew in the lab. And, well, you know me. I'm Father Chris Decker. You can follow me and Inktober on Instagram and Twitter at Digital Catholic. You've been listening to the Catholic Underground, cutting through the noise so that you can find that still small voice. We will see you next time.